Hey listeners, it's Alex, your host, EOA, Entrepreneurs of Asia, the show where we talk to founders, investors, and entrepreneurs, and talented individuals in the region who are having an impact in Asia and beyond. For today's episode, we get to sit down with my friend of 10 years, YK Goon. He's a unique guy who I respect. Lots of times, people shy away from anything outside the norm. YK is not one of these people. For me, I personally love surrounding myself with diverse thinkers, even if you end up disagreeing with them. YK is a software engineer by trade. For all intents and purposes, he is the CTO of Kakitangan, a SaaS platform for HR management, but he also has an old artistic soul. In this episode, we talk about the concept of flow, the engineering mindset versus the artistic mindset, developing software engineering talent, technical leadership and software engineering management, and I hope you're not bored of my network. We discussed some early rocket internet days in respect to scaling fast. However, from the unique angle of actually talking about the technical software engineering side of rocket internet. Towards the end, there are some more practical concepts such as product development with a sales team in respect to SaaS, road mapping for products and advice for other CTOs. As usual, feel free to skip around for different chapters if your podcast platform allows it. Let's dive right in. All right, YK Goon, welcome to the show. How are you? Thanks for having me. All right. So we have here with us today YK Goon. I guess you are a CTO, right? I am a senior developer. I'm not sure what title we have <laughs> where I work. Okay, but you're the one leading the, the, the project. Of, lead, yeah. yeah, okay. So you're, you're a technical lead uh, or the one who makes all the technical decisions for your current company, right? And uh, I guess engineer lead by day and then crypto trader by night? I suppose, yeah. 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 Or I mean, not exactly like that, but half half, I guess. Yeah. Close enough. Right? <laughs> I mean, LinkedIn says you're a software developer. Are, are you just being humble? or It's true. <laughs> <laughs> I make software for a living. Yeah. Uh, I try to do that in my free time, too. So, mm-hmm. among many things. Yeah. So, why, why avoid the title and all these things? Uh, well, you know, we work in a startup, so we do many things. So, titles are not all that reflective, really, of what we do. Mm-hmm. So, uh, it's convenient to pick something reflective, mm-hmm. in general. And I guess it depends on the size of your company and I mean, do you, so are you saying the title's not important and what, at what stage will they become important then? At what stage will become important? I don't know. When, when, I guess when people try to judge you at a point when people try to hire you, I suppose, maybe up to, I, I've heard that it becomes important when a company becomes like middle sized and mm-hmm. uh, maybe it becomes politically significant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That, you know, yeah, yeah. people try to read into what you really are from the title. Yeah. And the, so your, your current company for, for where you hold this uh, supposed title is uh, Kakitangan, I guess. And that means, what does that mean actually in English? In English, it means staff. Staff um, or HR, right? Yes. In, in, in Malay, it literally means hands and feet. Hands and feet. Oh, <laughs> kaki, feet, and tangan is hands. Correct. Ah, okay. So, yeah. and this is a SaaS company? Yes. That does, how, how would you describe it? It is a SaaS solving human resource problems targeted at um, small, medium enterprises. So they're for them to handle their HR services, their payroll? Yeah, specifically uh, payroll, uh, claims, leaves, time attendance. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's it. So I want to start off with this quote. Uh, a man blessed with curiosity, attempting to learn the art of being in search of anti-fragility. What does mm. this mean? Anti-fragility, I think, if you read Taleb, you probably you probably know. It's the idea of getting stronger while... Well, I don't want to butcher this. 
<laughs> so it's the idea of beyond robustness. Right. So it's, this is uh, from the author Nassim Talib. Correct. Uh, which book? Anti-fragile. Anti-fragile. Yeah. Right. Which okay. is a trilogy. If you're not exposed to it, there's uh, he has three books, and this is the last of that. Which you should begin first, and then read that in reverse order. Mm-hmm. So why why do you define yourself like this? You're you're attempting to learn the art of being. I guess what being alive in search of what being stronger through mm. this idea. Yeah, I value strength and I value curiosity. Mm-hmm. I think I think that's what that's what should drive us. And and yeah, strength is just strength. <laughs> <laughs> Why, why focus on this idea of strength? Then? Has life been challenging and tough? or It has, absolutely. Yeah. And in what aspects? In, in what aspects? Financially, socially, relationships? Yeah, pretty much cover everything. Yeah. I guess maybe in terms of personal journey and growth, right? Mm. But did you have a very tough childhood or anything? Or? I would say a lot of people had it worse than me. But mm. I, I didn't find it overall a very pleasant childhood. Mm. So uh, I would say yes, it, it is. It was tough. It was tough. Okay. Yeah, so yeah, then yeah. it's probably why a lot of these traits are quite important for you today. It is. Right. Yeah. Okay. Now I pulled this from your website, uh, YK Goon. Right? So I was doing research and yeah. surprisingly very active still. You know, a lot of people have personal websites and I think you're writing very consistently up, up to this month even. It was a recent thing, you know. It was a recent thing. Okay, I, I was. I had a. I this, this weekly thing about like what I'm interested in this week. That's a fairly recent thing. Okay. So I surprisingly was able to keep it up. <laughs> yeah, and that's a it's a combination of your writings and also a lot of your other activities too that it leads to, right? Yeah. So we could follow you at ykgoon on the Twitter. Yes. Ykgoon.com, which is your website, personal website, and then uh, correct. You also have a YouTube, right? So YouTube.com/c/ykgoon. Yeah, YouTube. I'm not even sure anymore. I'm not active there. Yeah. I used to post. I the the reason that existed was because I I made a short film. I don't know about eight years, ten years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's when I put that in. Yeah. Then you have also a lot of like coding videos and what we'll talk about later. Some some Wing Chun, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah which is yeah. a Chinese martial arts, right? Correct. So I've I've known you for about probably nine years. Oh. Right. Yep. Right, and then we- I think from. But I think out of the nine years, we we've, we barely probably stayed in touch. We we kind of went on this journey, was that started on this journey, and then we I, we kind of diverged, and then I came back to Malaysia, and eventually reached out to you and got in touch with you. Right? I wish we spend more time. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Every time we've met, it was definitely a great conversation, and always engaging. I always appreciated the the company. I agree. Do you remember how we met? I think you somehow hired me for Zalora. Well, I, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't me, right? So I, I think, so what happened was Oliver Samuel was coming to, the founder of Rocket, one of the brothers, right, of Rocket Internet, was, Oliver, was yeah, coming to yeah. uh, Malaysia for the first time, and it was this insane scramble because he wanted to interview like 100 people, and he was coming like in one or two days. Mm. So I think he wanted to hire anywhere from developers to co-founders to mm. just anyone, like senior staff. And mm. then mm. Uh, I think I must have found, I, I think I Googled around looking for engineers, and I think I came across your blog, I'm guessing. Okay. I probably must have reached out to you by, by calling your email or something. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, Pro- yeah. Probably LinkedIn. Probably LinkedIn? Mm. Possibly, yeah. Because that probably was LinkedIn, maybe. And then mm. and I reached out to you. And then I think you came in. Mm. And then you uh, had an interview with Jakob Bro, right? Yes. Yes. How, yeah. how was Which, that? That was, it was pleasant. I mean, two months later, that led me to Australia, where I met him there again. 
So yeah, he's a, he's a fine bro. <laughs> good, good pun. So that that was nine years in the making, and so let's. I want to start off with more personal questions to get to understand you better, know you more, right? Yeah. So, in what ways were you a, a hacker as a kid growing up? Hacker as a kid growing up. Yeah. Not much though. Not much. The, uh, computer was not a thing. Okay, so computer was completely yeah, out of your life. <laughs> I I just I just typed myself there. So no, it was it wasn't a thing, but I was I was quite a interested in tinkering. So, mm. but but I lack the uh, channel of doing so. So, what I was, what was available to me was paintings. Paintings, I, okay. I, I really tried my hands at uh, drawing. Mm. Failed miserably. <laughs> I was horrible at it. Yeah. What What other avenues? Music. Nothing. I nothing there. <laughs> Not cut out for music. So so, maybe writing. Writing was mm. something as in fiction. Mm, writing fiction well, was something I was into, though. Yeah, I didn't cultivate much beyond, I guess, school. Mm. 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 So then, what, when you, I want you to qualify. Like, how did you know you were not good at painting and not good at all these artistic endeavors? I think you, you give it enough time, you just know. You know, you you see how other people do. Mm -hmm. I, I have friends who who draw. This childhood friend, Daniel. Okay, yeah. if you're listening, you know, you know what I mean. He. He would doodle casually mm -hmm. uh, in his idle time. It would just come out beautiful. Mm. So okay, if like if that's the pinnacle, how far I am to that? Mm -hmm. so, even if I give my hundred percent uh, effort, I wouldn't come even close. Mm. So so that's how I know. But I think there's there's two very important concepts there, right? I think one we've talked about in the past when we've met up is this idea of flow, mm. right? Mm. So I guess what you're saying is there there was no natural flow. You couldn't get into it where it was this natural state and great things came of it, right? Yeah. And also, I think the brain could be wired for certain medium. Mm. So, say, say when, I am, when I'm coding, you think in a certain way, and maybe I'm, I suspect I'm wired for that, mm. for that kind of problem solving, very deterministic, almost game-like. So, so describe the feelings of how you would know and how did you arrive to knowing that then? To knowing... Uh, that you were wired for it and this yes. is your... You have flow and... Yes. And, uh, and you're, this, is, this is what you should be doing. Well, as in, you, you know... You kind of know when you achieve flow, right? So I wouldn't imagine I, I would achieve flow playing mu music up till, of course, you reach a certain skill. Yeah. Then you would feel that. Yeah. yeah? So, so for me, I can cite... At this point, there are three activities I can I can find that a maybe four writing fiction coding, um, badminton martial art. Yeah. So so yeah maybe it, it largely is a function of skill. Maybe when your uh, skill level is too low, it's just That's impossible correct. to get in flow. Yeah. yeah. But then so it's a little bit dangerous then, right? How do, how do you know you didn't give yourself enough time to get to a level of where you or over that threshold to discover if you have flow or not. Mm. And how do you know you didn't give up too early? And you know, or, or is the world black and white where people are just fixed wired for certain things? Mm. Or is there, or is this, uh, you know, maybe people believe there's more this fluid idea where you, if you put enough effort, you can become a master of something. Mm. I would pay attention to beginner's luck. Mm -hmm. If you dabble in something new and you, you feel that beginner's luck, you probably have some talent there. Mm. Yeah. So it's worth pursuing further. Mm -hmm. 
And how, how, how would you go about exploring that then? Dabble. Give it some time. Dabble uh, things you're interested in or what's, what's a better method? These days I would, I would go towards the area where I'm curious about. Mm. So if Curiosity. I'm not curious about, what am I not curious about? Go, let's go back to drawing. I'm, yeah. not, I'm not curious there at all. Mm. And in fact, if I were to look at drawing tutorials on YouTube, which I recently did <laughs> for some reason, I, I did not feel compelled to follow through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but, but if I were to say, explore, say, pick a sport, badminton, I'll be fairly curious on how to optimize a smash, for instance. Mm. Okay, so then you'll dig in, you'll keep pulling on the thread, watch more videos, mm. then you go practice it, and then it's just all very natural. There's no, no frustration or pain. Correct. I mean, even if there is, it's, it's uh, something you, at the end, would enjoy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then, can you define exactly what it does it mean to be a hacker, then? Be a hacker. Yeah. Because yeah, you said tinker, right? Mm. Where, where's the line drawn between tinker versus then becoming hacker? I guess uh, I use hacker in the sense of making things. So uh, yeah. the other word would be uh, maker. Maker. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Get getting things like making things to do it in such a way that they probably would people wouldn't think they they could do it, or to do things that uh, they were not meant to do. Or you're just saying uh, being very good at building in general, uh, hacking things together. Yeah, yeah, putting things together in a way that is hopefully original and hopefully anti-fragile. At least in in my professional work, I would hope that the things I've built are anti-fragile. Mm-hmm. In in the sense that the more it breaks, the stronger it gets. Mm-hmm. And in, that, in that sense then, would you, like, so growing up, you wouldn't consider yourself a hacker, then how about now? Yeah, I, I think I am now. Yeah. yeah. I spend most of my daytime uh, making things, fixing things, so, software specifically. In my free time, I write i try to <laughs> try to write fiction yeah that, that's pretty much it how how would you personally define yourself i define myself mm. i would hope a thinker or artist of life <laughs> mm. very far from it but that's what i aspire to maker yeah you find that in conflict right you have this artistic pull I, I guess the writing you could express yourself artistically you find flow there yeah uh, even i guess to a degree some element of martial arts yeah right you could there could be some artistic element to that but at the same time you know, being a very logical programmer how do you express yourself there mm. artist is it possible to do that artistically in terms of structured logical engineering ones and zeros right and wrong this kind of world yeah absolutely right it's it's, it's a totally it's almost polar opposite yeah. instinct right yeah uh, one side is very deterministic it's very logical you ha- you know what you achieve yeah it, it, that's a su- the success state is very clear yeah well you know yeah what's possible there are things that can be done and things that can't be yeah. uh, very very similar to operations yeah yeah Where, whereas with with art you don't really know yeah. Mm. yeah so i guess maybe that's what it means to be a renaissance man <laughs> yeah does, does engineering and coding get to a certain point in time or state or some or problems that, that where you're at that limit where they're just things you don't know and it becomes more philosophical and art i guess with you know in my professional life the, we call ourselves software engineer yeah which the engineering bit is rather misleading 
Okay, yes. what do you mean? So engineering suggests that we are the things we do, the process we go through. If we do this and exactly this, we get that result. Traditional engineering, I guess, right? It's, yeah. The laws of physics are very fixed for exactly. mechanical engineering and physics, chemistry, everything. You get total control of the input. You get total control of the scope, and you yeah. get exactly the same input. Mm -hmm. With software, that's never the case. So what, why why is why do people compare to engineering and what are, what are the difference and where are the similarities then? It's uh it's legacy I guess it's the best word they can come up with. So personally, my alternative to that is gardening. So okay. gardening is uh, a better analogy to describe what we do because software is never done. So the the uh, <laughs> the heuristic is uh, a software is done when the last user is dead. Yeah, no one's using it anymore. Yeah. So therefore, unlike a bridge, your software always change. Mm. Uh, and therefore, the, the right comparison isn't quite a building or a bridge. It's a tree. Mm -hmm. So how do you approach a tree as a gardener? Mm -hmm. You know? So you, you never quite know how it will turn out. Yeah. But if you take uh, certain steps the right way, it'll probably come up the way you want. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So like if you if you care for it the right way, you know the characteristics of how it should grow, the right soil, right temperature. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Sounds quite similar to I don't know bringing up a kid, I guess. Oh really? Isn't well, it? I mean, yeah. I, I don't have kids. I I don't either. But yeah. you you cannot control for what he turned out to be. That's true. It? You can kind of give it a nudge here and there. Yeah. So there, there are things you can do that kind of bring up the interest or yeah. talent. Yeah. But you can never quite control where it goes and how it turns out. Yeah. How, how many engineers out there are listening to this now and cringing and saying you're wrong? And, and in what ways would they be have some valid points, I guess? I'm not sure. This, this hasn't got enough, this idea hasn't got enough traction to get enough negative feedback. I think I think most would agree, but they may say, mm, "What can we do about this? Mm. What what value can I extract out of this?" Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I almost I almost get the feeling that a lot of uh, people in engineering or coding or programming, it, they they feel they are the master of the world, and that's why they also enjoy it. Mm. It's part of their ego to to have something in their life they can control because it's pretty much putting ones and zeros together, right? I agree. I agree. It's uh, and that can be quite profound on a, on a personal level, right? For fulfillment, but, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But but like what what you're alluding to is that the truth is a little bit further from it. It's a little bit more nuanced, right? Mm. It's mm. it's not exactly that. Yeah, yeah. I guess uh, about if you're talking about control, yeah, that that is that's quite true in in sense that you, you think you have total control. Yeah. Over over your creation, mm -hmm. it's not true. It's a, it's, it's a combination of so many factors. That's uh, true. What, yeah. what your customer demands of it. And human interactions and humans are definitely not predictable sometimes. Right? Yeah, yeah. And you can take the same idea to religion. You think, yeah. you know, your, your God has total control over this realm? Maybe not true. Mm. Yeah? yeah, you would hope so at least. <laughs> right. So, so which brings in, you know, if if everyone questions, why would God let this happen? Yeah, eh, maybe he's not omnipotent. Well, that's, yeah, we'll leave that discussion <laughs> maybe for the, the religious guys. So, tell me then, you know, throughout all these different changes, and then 
uh, exploring different things. Where, where did you start to build your your programming chops, your coding chops? Where did this come from then? This come from. Let's see. Oh, I started. My first coding experience was funny. I was. It was my first computer. I coded in BASIC. In BASIC. Q BASIC specifically. Yeah, it was Windows ninety five, so it came with it. What was it? I tried to make a game. So what the first thing you find in the game? A splash screen. I tried to make a. I tried to code a splash screen, mm. and have the text scroll from top to bottom. That's mm. it. Yeah. <laughs> so that was code. That was yeah. that was my first experience at coding. So all right, and many years later, I I went to university, and the and the major was about game design. Oh, uh, you went to multimedia university. Yes. Right, so this was also another uh, guest on episode four, Andrew G. He also went to multimedia university. Right. Yeah. Right. What did he do? He did financial engineering. Mm. Right? right. And then I think yeah. he then somehow did some consulting work and jumped to to Lazada, BCG, BCG then Lazada. That's yeah. great. That's great. So so my experience there was formative software wise because it, it was the most hardcore. Among, among the whole school of computer science, we spend a lot of time making games, different, ev- different genres, different aspects of uh, game making. Mm-hmm. So so much time spent coding in different platforms. So that gave me a lot of hours. Mm. Uh, yeah. So that's how experience. you developed basically. So you're forced to. It must have been very different back then. There was like a lot less tools. Mm. A lot more probably rudimentary coding. You yep. had to build a lot of things from scratch. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess for what I'm hearing, multimedia had a pretty good program, and it was very rigorous, where you had to just solve hard problems all the time in the, in the context of building games. Yeah, yeah, it was, and it was a very special program because uh, most people didn't do that. There was a, a handful of us uh, doing that. So, so it's just sheer hard work. It's sheer hard work. Yeah. And then you had, I guess, in the in the journey you discovered you had flow for it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So you really enjoyed. I mean, it, honestly, coding in BASIC or something like very low-level languages sounds very painful for most people. But I guess you enjoyed it. Oh well. To be fair, BASIC was okay. It was just fine. It's just, it's just not you know, an industrial tool. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, at the time, yes, the the tool wasn't as mature as it is now. Yeah. So we have to deal with a lot of. We, we coded a lot in C. We learned graphical programming. So so it was it was hardcore that way. Mm-hmm. I don't know how is it done now. Right now maybe <laughs> there may be script kiddies. I don't know. But yeah, it it was it was very. It, it gave us experience that we didn't. We, most people do not have. I I still think making games is the most hardcore thing one can do. Mm. in digital art in in software in software currently i mean and to be fair if you think about what's driving all the hardware space if you Mm. think about why we have all this crazy technology more powerful computing Mm. at the forefront is is gaming it is it is the time the time spent also taught me what i wasn't again about things i'm not talented in Mm. and that was game design what is that what is the difference so what I'm okay in this is making the game itself if the rules are in place. Mm-hmm. Who came up with the rules? Someone else I did. See. Okay, so someone yeah. needs to make the rules of how it works. Yeah. 
Yeah, okay. yeah. So, so, but to be fair, it was a, that was a tricky thing. There's no, there's no Bible for that. Yeah, I, uh, I, I must be tied to your experiences. Uh, how partly how you're wired, your exposure to different things, mm. how open your mind is, how creative you can be as well, right? Mm. Yeah, yeah. So, so it was uh, at the time we also struggled with that as a collective. Yeah, we, we didn't know. We're trying to approach uh, game design as an art. Didn't know, didn't quite know how to go about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Maybe the field is way more mature now. Yeah, yeah. But a lot more accessible, a lot more tools. I would believe. Mm-hmm. I, I guess a parallel today would be tokenomics. What, what is that? <laughs> tokenomics in crypto, as uh, in crypto. Okay. Yeah, yeah. How 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 you design incentive. Oh, so they call it um, tokenomics, to- tokenomics, like uh, economics, but tokens. Yes. Okay, so basically, how the use cases for tokens in the crypto space. Yeah, in in that how how they influence behavior by by emitting this much token that has this much yield, they predict you would do something in this fashion. Yeah. But maybe not. Yeah. But at the same time, you also talked about you know, before what we would always discuss about crypto. Then you told me about all these crypto games. Mm. But then also you have game design within the context of crypto too. Mm. Yeah. Right, so I guess that's something very similar where you have even more complexity with the chain blockchain and how that actually plays out with the games and then what value the end user gets in terms of probably tokens too or cards or whatever it is. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, so I mean, it sounds like gaming is a very, I mean, if I guess, I guess most people who get into programming when they're young, they probably play games and they think they want to do that. But I think people finally fat find out very fast that it's very hard and they move away, I guess. Yeah, yeah. It, it's also a life, it, it's not a lifestyle I would recommend. <laughs> it's, it's very painful. It is, it is. And money, it's, it's, hard, it's hard to say. Yeah, unless you hit, unless you get lucky in something like a, a flappy bird or something. Yeah. yeah. Which is probably quite rare. Yeah. I mean, what a fluke that thing is. It? <laughs> uh, so, we're, you know, building on your experiences that I think university was probably the defining moment right? to kind of set you up for where you are now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, did you further extend yourself to the community or get involved with open source or, or was it just only focused on school and games? Yeah. Um, I did not immerse myself into communities. To be fair, I should. Should have. Yeah. <laughs> and and I would. I'll, I'll be happy to do that going forward more. More. Yeah. 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 At the time, not not as much, not as much. So then, you know, like especially since you didn't reach out and see other people and and you know be a part of the community, especially which is very critical for development as a, a coder and engineer. Were, were there any pivotal moments in your early experiences before Zolora then that helped mm-hmm. you develop further? Or like, because what, what I really want to get at to is like, how did you know what you were solving was right? And how did you know you were wrong? Right? So it's like this. There was a period of time where we, before Zolora, I was a startup entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. So uh, there were different businesses that I went through. There was a period that I did not code at all. I dabble in sales. I dabble in marketing. Everything else that that involves business running. Mm. Yeah. So you did everything. Yeah. Yeah. So so that's where I get the experience. I mean, I I know business speak from there. Mm, okay. Because you are actually a founder, basically. Yeah. And that's where I guess that's where my community outreach is. Mm. I guess uh, it's not so much with the coders, but you know with the. Suits, yeah, yeah. So, so from from trying to do startups, I pretty much know as a coder what what you should 
what the business should optimize for. Okay, and so that's to, very important, actually. Then. Yeah. yeah, and I figure that's not a lot of that's not what a lot of coders have. Yeah, they they are usually in one world, but I guess there's more power when you step into two worlds. Mm. And you yeah. can also probably speak the same language in both worlds and connect it. Right? A lot of knowledge be created there. Yeah, yeah. So so I that's probably what drew me to Zalora too. Mm. Yeah, I. At the time, I saw it as a startup. <laughs> I don't know if they see it, saw themselves as a startup. Yeah, I guess. Uh, I mean, you were randomly called by me, who had just joined, probably after a few days only. I no, <laughs> I had no clue what was going on. Yeah, yeah. I, I was like, oh, these people just want to pay me money to build crazy things. I was like, I'll do it for a year, mm-hmm. right? And then I was like, oh, so now I have to find people. I, 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 you know, when I had my interview, I had no clue what a co-founder was. <laughs> right? I, I mean, at uh, least you were a founder at the time. I. I was just so green, you know. I I had done my own business, but it was in the world of finance and investment. Right? So mm, it's, mm, it's mm. the whole different learning curve. So. So you were in finance before that. Investments, I guess you could say, trading and investments. Yeah. In so what capacity? I I had built. I raised money for a, my, my own private investment company, I and, see. and I was just deploying the capital into markets, right. traded energy, currencies, futures, and currencies, basically. In the global macro space, yeah, and then I think, you know, by by having my own company and doing that, raising money, that's what also attracted Rocket to my profile. Mm. I was randomly connected to it. So I see, I and see. I, and I guess for you, I, I must have saw you were a coder. They were looking for higher engineers, and I I must have seen you had probably some business experience. I, it's nine years, long time to remember, but yeah, and I yep. guess that's yep. why I called you in. Yeah. Yeah. So, but like like you said, those early experiences being a founder were, were critical to your development, essentially. It, it was. It was. Again, I, I I'm mostly not interested in being a code monkey. Mm. So yeah, which I think a lot of would you say in Asia that uh, like at least in the past nine years that was probably more common. Obviously now probably less so though, right? What do you think is so prevalent that people expect like a programmer, engineer, or coder to be a code monkey, which is like just do what I say and build. Yeah, yeah, I I don't know the ratio, but I would guess a lot of people are, are that. still like that. Yeah, even still today, mm. I believe so. Although I can't speak to, I can speak of the people who don't work with me, but yeah. <laughs> of those that work with me, I try to, especially if they're young, I try yeah. to tell them, hey, this is what matters. Yeah, these are the metrics. Why do they matter? Because well, they they make your paycheck. <laughs> Yeah. So so these are the so these are the funnels that that ultimately will be affected by your work. So so ultimately, what they do matters in in this way. Yeah, that's what I'm telling. Yeah. So then, what 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 is the the most typical mindset of a young person coming in? Then what what are they like? Are, are do are they in the mindset of just tell me what to do and I do it? And you're what you're doing is to develop their thinking. So they really kind of view themselves as a code monkey or. I think largely they are. Yeah. Okay. Largely they so are. Most they, most people coming in. They they come in. They come in. Think oh, I want to do the best job. Yeah. Well, great attitude. Yeah. You yeah. know, I want to do a good job. But what does that mean? Yeah. <laughs> that maybe to them that means doing it. Do do what is given to me very well. I mean, and to be fair, there is some wisdom in that because when you're too junior, if you're trying to take too much scope in and, and then you don't have the experience, yeah. you're going to go all over the place, probably make a mess, True. right? And you know, maybe prematurely optimize or do a lot of things that just, they haven't had time to see or solve it. So if someone does the thinking for them, puts mm-hmm. them in their, their corner to do very well and then they excel, right? Yeah. Is that the right way to think about it? Or is it possible to throw 
young people on the deep end just to code things and make a mess and allow them to grow. Now, what, what you say was true. So it's fair that they think that way. Yeah. It's the question is, do they do they think like that throughout? Yeah. Okay. You know? I see. So, so when while they're settling in, it's I, I would try to try to widen the scope of their thinking uh, beyond their the ticket they're given. Yeah. Beyond the task they're given, and and think more holistically. So 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 that they think, oh you no, know, it's there's a direct relationship between what they do and why they get paid. <laughs> Mm. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so that you know, that it, it's there's non-zero chance your business will fall tomorrow. Yeah, and it's probably for a handful of reasons. Yeah, being anti-fragile. Yes. Well, the the method of your of leadership, the mentorship, cultivating them as as, as programmers mm. and mm. developing their thinking. Mm. This is in hopes of building anti-fragility, I guess. Uh, yeah, I, I hope so. I hope so. Obviously, it's not. A straight line, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so they start off by by n- just doing a good job. Hopefully, they over time they understand. Okay, what I do contribute towards this metric, and this metric contributes to that master metric. Yeah, and that's what matters. And I mean, to be fair though, like to, you're saying this now, but this is after. I mean, you've been working a long time, like 15 years, 20 years? 20. 20 years, right? You didn't have this philosophy from day one. Did you, did you used to lead teams differently and cultivate them differently? Or what were, your, what were some of your bigger failings early on that, that you had to realize you had to change to switch to this kind of method? Or was it always this kind of method you followed? The bigger failings were more interesting. It's good that you bring it up. Let's see, where should I begin? When I was given a team to lead, I pretty much had that idea down. Uh, okay, I pretty so much know what I was doing. Okay, but when was this? There were time, maybe a bit pre-Zalora time, okay. slightly before that. Okay. Yeah. Though, there were time. So the time before that, I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. So yeah. so it's about at that time. It's it's a straightforward sense of you know. Oh, okay, you got time. Let me give you something to do to fill your time. Mm. <laughs> you know? So, okay, let's hope that when everything is done, the business will fall into place. <laughs> so that, that was the first attempt at doing this? Yeah, I guess. Was that right yeah. or wrong? Mm, there's no sense of priority. Yeah. So Just doing things as they come up. Yeah. And then yeah. hope things kind of work out. Mm. Which probably, if that's the, the method... Most likely would probably fail then. Mm-hmm. And of course, those were times before before the idea of you know lean and product market fit come yeah, around. Yeah, yeah. Agile, Scrum. Yeah, yeah. So so we didn't we didn't have that concept. So it, we, so how do you judge yourself? Sales, <laughs> which is a horrible metric, really. For I guess um, from an engineering standpoint. Yeah. 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 So so. Yeah, I'm. I'm glad. Th- I'm glad we we've developed good heuristics along the way. Well, then you you didn't know what you were doing, and then you kind of jumped to the job where you're now leading, and you say you're confident. Where does that come from? Like, how do you know you're doing it right then? Right now, our approach is right when you've yeah. got your first team. Mm, mm. You said you were pretty confident that you at least uh, when you had juniors, you mm. would know how to 
developer thinking and how to connect the small th- the smaller picture to the bigger picture mm, mm. so they understand what they're doing and why mm. how, how uh, do i know that was yeah, the right you, approach yeah, yeah how did you know that was the, like how do you get such wisdom from before you didn't know anything because i want the same thing ah, okay. so so if i'm satisfied they'll be satisfied mm. you know i i'm not but not everyone's the same though true but you, you got to find some a, a better motivation isn't it So if I try to motivate myself uh, by doing more meaningful things, maybe it'll work for others. Mm. Okay, so at least it was, it was more like you know this is how I would appreciate it, and hopefully if I try it out, then people would also appreciate it. Yeah. So, so there are two approaches: either that you feel your work is impactful, mm-hmm. or the work is interesting. It's mm-hmm. one or the other. Yeah. Yeah. Can it be both? Can be both. Hopefully it's both, Hopefully but it's rarely both. both. Right? But yeah. sometimes it's one or the other. It's, don't be that greedy, but <laughs> well, it's, it's, it ties to the idea of ikigai, right? Yeah, you're trying to ba- find that ba- like ba- it's like a compass, right? You're trying to find mm-hmm. that balance. Sometimes mm-hmm. you don't have one, yeah. and then the, the next experience you try to shift it more towards getting balance of all four quadrants, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Of course, given the choice, I want to do interesting things most of the time, but the suits are not happy. <laughs> the business. <people. laughs> So, well, but so, you you were a founder once, so you understand why, right? Exactly, right? Yeah. So, in in what cases is it just doing interesting things for the sake of doing interesting things, or were were they going to actually add tangible business value? Interesting things, and there's never a direct correlation, right? It, it's it, there's all they're always intangible, mm. the innovative stuff you do, uh, in quote. So, so you can. You can never quite justify it, but I'd say, you know, occasionally you do it for your own sake. Sometimes it's worth it. How do you quantify worth it? You can't. <laughs> but you would feel it, right? You feel it, yeah. But then, how do yeah. you know, like, you didn't hurt the business or the people around you overall because of your selfishness? I guess don't take too much time. Be mindful. Be mindful of what your the resource you consume of. The company, which are costing essentially yeah. time, humans, yeah. money. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's it's a difficult balance. Maybe you know, talk to your teammate. Maybe your teammate has insights about it. Mm. So it, it's it's difficult balance. Yeah. Can you maybe tie it to a hard example? Right. So you you wanted to do something interesting. I'm guessing solving a technical problem within the, the company or venture you're building, mm, mm, mm. Uh, and then the 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 suits or the business side, the, the other co-founders mm. or the CEO said no. Now to be fair, where I work, that has never happened, and I appreciate that because they the my, my the the founder has Evan has he has a slight technical background and he he gives a lot of freedom. Okay. And he trusts us to strike that balance. So he also speaks the same language. Yes, which is then very good for culture all around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so he he would bring in business priority, and leave it to us to decide. Yeah. So, knowing that, uh, so sometimes I'll I'll think for me I think mm, this was a thing that was poorly done. I could have done it this way. Could I justify it uh, for the business? Hard to say. I cannot quantify it. You can never. Yeah. So. What is hmm. one thing you've done? See. One one hard example that you had to you tried something out and you weren't sure the the, the impact and the value you created at the end of finishing it. Hmm. I worked on one thing called a workflow engine. A workflow engine. Okay. Hmm. What hmm. is that? It was it was a way for the user to. 
code their own business logic rather than me doing it for them. Okay. So that uh, code or like use simple syntax or no code. Or In a way, they determine the logic. They may not code it. They don't know. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, but they determine the logic mm. rather than we doing it for them. So the the end effect is every customer get a distinct set of logic customized to them. Well, this, I feel this is a very specific problem to SaaS that's very important to address, right? Like I, I was talking to my last episode I released was about an F&B entrepreneur who uses a, he calls it a CRM, which, which it is. It's a CRM software for managing the, the back end of the restaurant. And he says biggest complaint was as a SaaS program, I have very specific customizable events, but it can't be customized. Mm. I guess what you're saying is that you wanted to work on a piece of technology that would allow uh, the SaaS program to scale while people could develop their own customized logic for their own needs. Close enough. Close yeah. enough. Right. He was trying to rearrange the table, isn't it? Pro- probably, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, also it's CRM, so it's also tied to like it being more flexible for for the table range. But also, like, if this person t- pops up on this table, then he could probably know their hist- history of that, right? But I think the the system wasn't flexible because it's they're trying to scale the same SaaS product. Right. of reservations across the board, right? Right, right, right. Okay, yeah. So, yeah, it was about that. So, the requirements, the scope was clear, what we need to achieve. So, I had several, after cheap way of going and after expensive way of yeah. going, I ended up going with the expensive way. Okay. So, because it was more beautiful and more future-proof. And I think it paid off. Yeah. So you said you couldn't quantify it, but it sounds like you should be able to quantify it. I can if I stretch the imagination. Yeah. And they'll probably believe me. But, but what, you're, what you're saying, like, <laughs> you, you know deep down inside of you, like it was more like... Yeah. Yeah. What I mean, would, would it be fair to say it's an intuition call? It is. It is. Okay. So, uh, okay. So there is... So despite being a, a person who's very structured and logical, you're making calls without really understanding and feeling that this might have impact and then I, I, would, I really imagine though you just need to look at how many people are using your, your end product how many people are customizing mm. and how, mm. what's the, the, the amount of usage and I feel it could be measured easily how about this I pick a poker analogy okay some people have a very when they approach poker they're very discreet in their probabilities mm-hmm. I'm not like that mm. I kind of feel my way yeah. <laughs> I kind of feel it like oh one third the chance, you know. How so, much of how much the element of poker? Because I mean, people you have card readers, so they'll know the probabilities of each move. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So. Are, are you saying you're using intuition to make that same calls? I do. Okay. All right. And you bring that so, to your coding even. Yes. Interesting. Um, now, can I can I make it discreet? Can I yeah. like put a number on it? I can. But I don't trust people to do it because they know it themselves. They're probably talking out of the ass. Yeah. In spreadsheet, I know there are scenario planning. And, you yeah, know, there's yeah. the you know the optimistic side, there's pessimistic side. Yeah, well, but they're, come on. they're trying to model massive complexity, right? Yeah. And usually, the simplest models probably work out the best. Yeah, it. I I get that it helps with communication. You know, people who don't know what you're feeling see that spreadsheet. They they get that sense, yes. Well, they, it makes you feel better, even though it just could be. I mean, uh, depending like, some scenarios is going to work out, right? Probably mm. the odds are it might work out, but then mm. other times your model might just blow up, right? Yeah, 
So since I'm, I was deciding and I was the one executing, I also get the advantage of uh, switching course midway. Oh, you mean so if you're going in one direction strategically, uh, roadmap, engineering wise, then you, yeah. could, you could change. If it didn't work out, then I, you know, I get to switch track. So if, I, so that would invalidate any, you know, hard model I'll come up with. But also, that, isn't that very risky and a little bit cavalier in, in respect to your users and the business side? Like, like, how, how much do you know that you're just not being selfish about this? Oh, if I were to, I guess, what kind of alternative I'm given, right? Mm. If I, if the other, if the other choice is for me to put everything down in numbers, give it give it a very hard model yeah. I wouldn't pick that because it would consume energies that I should have that should have went to development and over, probably over optimizing prematurely optimizing yeah so so I would rather have that energy spend building things there's a real good chance that if I build things it may come up better than what we expected mm. which happened many, numerous times mm. yeah oh interesting so yeah so instead of because this is also this also ties down to speed too, yeah. right? I guess if you're if you're trying to game out everything and I guess a hundred percent of the time using data, I would imagine mm. that what you're saying is you're going to slow down probably and and probably instead of just maybe making small experiments and, and trying to hack it fast, mm. uh, then then you find out much quicker if it's wrong or right. Then you could pivot if it's wrong and if it's right, you're like, oh, this is actually much better. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So you're you're creating opportunities where you can go backwards. You know, it's not like a, a fixed door. You're not shifting the tech stack or what you're using that like if you did this then you know it's you're sunk and you can't go back you, you touch on an important point yeah. so uh whatever decision this is true for for my team as well i try to i try to advocate you know whatever decision we make unless we're making try to m make a decision that we can reverse yeah. that we can undo yeah then then it almost doesn't matter that we make the wrong one mm -hmm. we can undo it is that in the sense of prioritizing speed or why are you saying this? If we cannot undo, then it makes sense to try to model it because it's a big gamble. Mm, yeah. So, so it's like in the investment world, that would be equivalent to, you know, I, I put, I'm making a billion dollar bet. There's no going back. Yeah. yeah. In this case, I am making, you know, half a million dollar here and there. How, how, how much of that would be hubris thinking you can actually game it out then? Is it, is it possible or only a few people can actually do this? I say you do make a billion dollar bet where you can't go back. Mm -hmm. are, are, are we as humans just thinking that we're much smarter than we are and it's just really, or are you, are you saying that you, know, you could actually game it out to, to really change the outcomes? Expand on the question. So I feel like you know, it's, it's more philosophical, I guess, mm. right? You know, like people think they're in control. Like we talked about, you know, with computers, mm. but, you're, but you're, 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 your analogy is more like gardening and trees, mm. right? And, same, and now we're talking about investments and trading, which is very similar to also making a bet on building a startup mm. and maybe certain decisions in those processes along the way. Right. To, to what degree is, is, you know, hubris there? Like we, you know, if we're making a decision that we can't go back from, how much do we really think we can game it out to be very sure of ourselves? Yeah. 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 So, so, yeah, I guess definitely there's hubris if it's a billion dollar bet. So engineering realm, I, I can name some examples. Say from the beginning, you, you have to pick your tech stack. For us, it's Django. 
Yeah. Uh, Python. Python. So, uh, okay, how do we know it's the right one? But to be fair, it's a it's an easy decision. We have a few choices. We look you you, you just look at the ecosystem. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's very strong. So it's still it's likely gonna stick around ten years. Yeah. Uh, going community. forward. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not a hard decision. We could have done JavaScript. That's fine too. So. Yeah. I mean, that, it also depends on. I mean, like, I think for for tech stack questions, they're a little bit more uh, discrete, and more finite, right? I feel like there are certain variables most tech people will optimize to. Community, yeah. are you good at it? Yeah. Uh, can you pick it up fast? Yeah. Uh, can you hire easily for it? Right. So mm. th- those are a little bit easier. Yeah. 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 But but I mean, cause I, I, would, I wouldn't say that's a, a billion dollar noble back. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It, so so it was. It was an, an irreversible decision, yeah. but it wasn't billion dollars. Yeah, 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 yeah. correct, correct. So yeah, it could be costly, but it's not, yeah, not terrible. So it's so it, since it's not irrever, it's it's not reversible. So you better do it right from the get go. Okay. Yeah. So so if someone were to do, uh, I don't know, Rust, I, I'm gonna build it with Rust mm-hmm. from day zero. Okay, then you better make sure someone out there that you can hire knows Rust. Rust. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I guess yeah. So I, I guess also depends on the, the scale and size of it. A lot of there, what you're saying is there are some irreversible decisions that are not as big, but could be probabilistically gamed out, and you have a you. I guess you would know that you have a chance of being right at least. There's an investment analog to this. A which is scaling in mm. or scaling up, so you could make your billion dollars bet like right away at yeah. this price point, yeah. Or I could like put in, put in a bit here and there yeah. over time. So if I'm wrong, I can stop. Yeah. So yeah, and and I I've I've practiced this for for some time. It worked out quite well. Do you build a compound with small bets basically? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, let's 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 put the crypto and trading talk on hold. So I want to go back to, before we, we go back to that section on on your trading experience. What happened after I left uh, Zalora Malaysia? Right? So we launched it, and then you went to Australia. You were saying what was the rest of your journey there? Oh, it's not like I went there for <laughs> for a long time. It, it was it was trying to do knowledge transfers from the the iconic which in is the Australia. uh, Australian yeah. fashion brand yeah, of yeah. Zalora basically yeah, yeah it, it was the office was much more vibrant there <laughs> <laughs> different, different ecosystem different talent base yeah, yeah. Uh, much more traction early on much more mature disposable income mm, mm, they had mm. way more uh, yeah starting in Australia had some perks I guess mm, true, yeah. true. Um, and then what, what did you do for the rest of Zalora then I built a team in Malaysia in in Malaysia, and they were responsible for internal IT. Uh, Zalora Malaysia. Yes. Oh, so you you were probably one of the only ventures in the region to have a tech team specifically in Malaysia, because at exactly. the time, right when we when I was when I had met you, we were coordinating with the the Chinese tech team every day. It was very hard. Oh, language barrier. I, I I can imagine how painful. But it was. It was a, a small team handling internal IT, trying to trying to make life easy for mm-hmm. uh, every department that need our help. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. Hand, handling like automations. Did you did you also touch the code base in terms of the, the back end? Initially, it, see that that was a ch- constantly changing environment. So initially, I did. Oh, okay. we, we did, oh. but but that the 
owner of those things change hands all the time yeah. to a point where it's not even feasible. Mm. Yeah. Also, they didn't need our help. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it was originally out of China. Then yeah. they closed down the China the tech team. They moved yeah. it to Philippines. Philippines, Philippines closed, closed down. Uh, they moved it yeah, to Portugal. Portugal. Yeah. Okay. The last, okay. last one was Portugal. And I, if I'm not mistaken, I believe the Portuguese team is still alive and well and, and kicking and right, uh, did right. quite a good job with that, I think. Right. Um, and we did quite some training, I guess, for whatever they're trying to achieve, and nothing came out of it. Really, <laughs> it was. I mean, so that, that I want to talk, actually talk about that, right? So, yeah. you actually got to touch the code base. How, how messy was it, and how, how, and what were there? Was there anything good in it, or? Hmm. Let me see. Code base at the time was uh, stored in subversion, which is not Git which made our life so a bit more difficult. A tool, basically a tool to manage the code, right? It's a, so, so the standard right now is we use to do version control. Yeah. So everybody everybody get their, their source code in the version they want. At the time, Git wasn't, wasn't uh, as prevalent. So it, it's it's a subversion that they were using. So What uh, is a subversion? So it's a, a previous iteration of source control tool. Hmm which works vastly different from git so so that was what we had to use and it was difficult a lot of people weren't used to it so okay well that, that's fine I, I guess you can manage around that so you asked how messy was the code let's see what i remember was this there was a lot of failing test codes <laughs> so 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 rightfully most most source most code bases would come with automated tests. Yes. Yeah. Ideally, you would run it, everything would pass, yeah, and, and and you would deploy it to production. production. Yeah. I remember running it as a lot of red color coming out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so they, they do. They do. <laughs> okay. Wow. So, so, okay. So I don't know what's going on. And I, I mean, w when you see this, then you stop trusting your, your test code. You stop ignoring them. Yeah. You don't know like what's legit or not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so right, I now I'm I'm highlighting the funny bits. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> not quite remembering the the positive ones. Yeah, I'm sure there was uh, something positive. Uh, I'm sure there was. It was oh, there, there was a lot of also a lot of code. I, I, one funny anecdote. There's a lot of code written by I guess Chinese or Singaporean coders, <laughs> and and we saw. And we saw vulgarities in in code comments. Like I, I don't know what how that got there. So it, is, it was the wild, wild east back then, I guess. Yeah. And yeah. I, what I imagined was they they probably took the the majority of the code base from Germany, Zalando. That's where they started. And they, they probably copied it over, and then they probably just kept building and making a spaghetti mess out of it and scaling, scaling, scaling. Right? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm surprised like Zalora was so functional after hearing that story. You know? <laughs> I mean, to to the degree that it was, right? I mean, it was. I mean, I mean, I don't know. What is your take in in terms of Rocket as a tech culture and product culture? It's all business first. Yeah. So there's there's no. I'd say there's there's just no priority for engineering. for good engineering. I'd say. So typical. It's what I I expect that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you expect and, it. Though. That's good. So so hope, well, if you survive long enough to prioritize good engineering again, well, good luck to you. Yeah. So I mean, you're saying that is a valid strategy. Essentially, you could just make a huge mess, build a massive amount of debt, you know, pass deploy code to production that it's not passing unit tests, and 
if you could make it work and then somebody hopefully fix it later. That's okay. val- it, valid. Um, how about this? If someone think of doing this today, you, you're taking the exact same approach. Know the price you're paying. Yeah, okay. And the price you pay would include very unhappy engineers. Mm, yeah. So it depends how much you value that and how you want to make that part of your culture. Yeah. Now, so if you, you're okay with unhappy engineers, be prepared to pay for that. Yeah. There's a, there's, I'm sure there's a cost and consequence to that too. Yeah. So on top of that, known development time. So you ask for something, you may not know when you get it. They may give you a time or multiply it by three. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, this this just a huge. Yep. If you you willingly build up technical debt, yeah, uh, it's just a huge unknown going forward, business wise. So there's, it's a it's a wild card that may or may not be a problem. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. In in that kind of respect, to what degree can you game it out then? Management. So have. But what if it's not managed? Then you're saying it's impossible to game it out. Because you're just forcing business requirements no matter what, making engineers unhappy, scaling really fast. Maybe as a manager, have have regular talks with the engineers about this, mm. about this issue, and get a sense of, you know, get get a sen- get their sense of estimation on this. Yeah. So pay attention to the word they use, pay attention to their level of frustration mm. and, and manage it, don't let it get out of hand before it's too late. And I guess the, the worst case is you lose a whole engineering team and no one manager would base, I guess. Uh, yeah, yeah. At, at that point, might as well start, start from scratch. Yeah. Which, so, which sometimes makes sense. Sometimes, yeah. I feel like yeah. any time you got to that point, any new engineer coming in, they, I think like, it feels like 9 out of 10 times they're just going to say start from scratch. Yeah. I, and I to to me that would be a personal failure. <laughs> if I build something, mm. you know, I leave, somebody take over, they they rather start from scratch. It's yeah. it's a personal failure on my part. Yeah. yeah. And because you know, it's not anti-fragile. So you're you're one year at Rocket, uh, net positive good or bad? How would you say? I would frame it as positive purely because I I see business blitzkrieg <laughs> yeah. that, that's the, the, the infamous hard, phrase hardly yeah. seen anywhere else so yeah. and and pe- people I worked with was pleasant okay, you know, so well, the team was actually good yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I, I know it's not true like across the board yeah but, no, but you, you, my do, you do find good people there yeah my yeah. my experience I, I, I hired the, the right people I was happy mm-hmm. they were I think they were happy with me so okay yeah and then why, why, why did you stay only a year then? A year plus, a year and a half or so? Someone poached me. Ah, someone poached you. To, to do a startup. So, uh, was this Tribe Hire? Yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah, anything, yeah. anything significant there in getting poached? Uh, uh, you mean at the end of that? Yeah. Or throughout, at the end? Throughout. Anything that, that you were mentioning? My time there was very experimental. It was the whole, the whole business was very experimental. Uh, Before we start, what is Tribe Hire? It was today a, uh, I I would call it boutique aid hunting agency. For technical, right? For technical, yeah. yeah, So if you want to hire technical people, engineers, software coders, uh, it's a a platform where the people could hire. Yeah, I think hit hunting would be be quite accurate. (laughs) At the time, that wasn't the case. At the time, it was 
it, it wasn't tech focused. It was across the board. You're trying to change the game of social hiring. Uh, <laughs> it was early days of social media. Yeah. Yeah, I would imagine I'd be very cynical in this space. Uh, right. Yeah. So, but to be fair, at, at the time, it was it was social media was was still very early. There was still optimism. Yeah. yeah. So okay. So so this was the attempt at taking taking the social graph and apply recruiting on top. Mm. Is there anything to be had with technology with it, or does it just revert back to pure headhunting model at the end of the day, and you don't need much tech? It it evolved like that. So we try to apply tech on top of it. I think stuck. So is this across the board for the industry? You would say, or is you guys miss something? You messed up, or you know? Oh, so in retrospect, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's nothing there. I think. <laughs> okay, so no point to apply tech. I mean, there's not much. No. I mean, nothing too accretive where it's going to unlock massive value, become a venture, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's just going to be a very steady. I mean, to be honest, you can make a lot of money though. Cash, a lot of cash. True. You know, doing technical recruitment. Yeah. And just very basic layered tech, I'm sure. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, what can you name today that that's even remotely close? LinkedIn. LinkedIn is a command. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a business stream. It's because they have the network effect of yeah. the other thing, they, the, the main core business they started. Right? Yeah. And that's an offshoot, and that's one of the rare cases where you have multiple business streams that work out in the long term. Mm, so, mm, mm. Um, it, but without that network effect, which which it was social, mm. it, it seems that maybe tried higher went in the wrong way, starting one stream locked them, and then mm. they they by by necessity by necessity of force, mm. uh, by not making any money, you have to go back to traditional recruitment. I guess. Yes. Yes. It eventually, you know, evolved that way. It was trying to to catch product market fit. Mm. So to be fair, across the years, a lot of experiments was was done. So the fact that it didn't pan out, it, that's fine. We tried. So yeah. that's that's saying something. And then I guess uh, you moved on. To, uh, well, how did you jump from Tribe Hire to Kakitanga, which is your your main current venture business now? Effin hired me. I did you responded. leave? Did he hired you or? I I left. Yeah, left. yeah. Okay. I, I I left and then took a few months off and back to Kakitanga. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How, how big is Kakitanga now? Right now, twenty plus people. Uh, twenty twenty five. And how Give many clients you guys are serving? I I don't keep track. I last I heard about two thousand companies. companies. Yeah. 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 Any any plans for expansion? We we'll try to take Malaysia market. Get get yeah. pro- cash uh, cash flow positive and profitability yeah. first. Yes. Yes. We are, are, are. You guys there yet? Or? We are there. Okay. We are there, but we're not out of the woods. Okay. So yeah. you want to make it a very strong, stable foundation before looking to probably look abroad, and of course you'd be in a strong position to to not worry about running out of money. We were stable, and then, then you could probably go from there, right? Yeah, that's pretty much it. The, the going abroad thing, it crossed our mind over the years. Yeah. It's a huge distraction. I don't even want to talk about that. Yeah. So, so just focus. Yeah, do it well here first. Yeah. Besides, you know, for our category, it's a lot of what we do are largely not, it's hard to move countries. So Labor laws? Yes, yes, yes. Payroll. It was different, yeah. Mm. Mm. Different systems, different banking systems too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so it it be it involve a lot more costs. Mm. It's it's not a one to one mapping. How about how about re- reducing some frictions? Regulatory will, will, will always be there, I think. But a transaction wise, crypto, right? Mm. If you could, it would scale across any country if everyone's using crypto. 
True, true. So, but that's not what we do yet. Yeah. So the core of what we do are quite straightforward. Yeah. So uh, you would wish it's like, oh, we could take our leaf systems and then plant it in Indonesia. It it just work. Yeah. Not yeah. quite. For for employees asking for leave. Yeah. 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 Especially payroll, that's not even possible. Mm. So leave applications, uh, claims, mm. may be possible. Claims, I would imagine, would be huge if that there's so much corporates in Southeast Asia that are not using tech big conglomerates. Mm. Mm. And I think what you get is a lot of really terrible, local, low quality solutions that are really janky. Right. Right. I see right. it firsthand. And I see. It's just, Massively painful, and one of when we were doing Easy Taxi, the one of the biggest things that scaled Latin America really well was a corporate Easy Taxi, which was a solution to control taxis and, mm. and claims on taxis, mm. and it, you would save up to forty percent of your, your budget. Right. Okay, so I feel, feel there's a huge space to be had for claims for companies in general, and I, I think before the pandemic, mm. uh, there were massively valued companies who were approaching this for travel, right, and, right. and corporates. Right. So right, yeah. right, right. So so yeah, the I think product is one dimension, sales is another. Yeah. So it's it's not it's definitely not a trivial thing to do. Yeah. So much marketing, so much like on the ground kind of activities. So and it's a lot more room to grow here. Yeah. So still right. plenty of room. Mm-hmm. And I, I would argue yes, and that, and but there's there's more competition in the market now, right? Or is that has that probably gone away with the, the pandemic? Uh, competition. Yeah. They are they're coming in strong, man. So there's more and more. <laughs> yeah, more and more, and they're more they're getting more aggressive. Yeah. Uh, marketing and yeah. price wise. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, we're we're, we're anxious. <laughs> what, what is Kaki Tangan's answer to that? Where, where do you get your edge, and then how you remain relevant and retain your users at the end of the day? The same thing we do across the years. Uh, see, I we we had. As a response to those, we we have not changed our roadmap. We have not made a rash pivot. Basically, it's the same approach. You, we look at the customers. What are the biggest problem to solve? What are their biggest pain point? Mm. We try to solve that in the fastest way we can. Follow the customers. Yeah. And then, uh, ideally, then you just have to build a sales team to pivot with the growth to to keep introducing more customers to. Either you know validate the hypothesis that was the right pain point, or, or maybe look for new pain points that are bigger across more customers. Right? Yeah. So at, at this point, we are. It's not even about hypothesis for us. No. We just know. I, you have the product market fit already. We as in as in what pain point yeah. to solve? It's yeah. not even the hypothesis. We just know what are the biggest pain points. People are paying you for it already. It's we legitimately know that if we solve this problem, it will lead to this much money. How do you know? Sales, salespeople. Okay, so you have historical data and what they're asking for. Salespeople, you know how they lose sales, <laughs> would would tell you, or because you you're missing this part. Yeah. You know? If you don't uh, have this, the customer it won't. Yeah, yeah. So. So it means the salespeople to be very close to the customers. Absolutely. Yeah, and they must be talking. So sales support, supports are very important. They. Yeah, you yeah. see the pain points quite from through, through support. Yeah. Yep. To, to what degree does the engineering team get involved in talking to customers then? Or do you purely trust the sales? Is that, is that good enough? It's more than good enough to, uh, to us. So we rely on support and sales to, to give us feedback. And then we, we adjust our roadmap based on those. Has okay. that ever been wrong? 
Because I would look, I would imagine if I'm a salesperson, I'll, I care about my target only. Yeah. I got this big fish. I know. He says this. Yes. I tell you. Yeah. But that doesn't apply to 99% of the, of the customers. True. Right? True. So, so in what cases is this right and wrong and how do you filter for that? I'm sure there are examples of that. But you trust There are pain. See, yeah. so here's the, the tricky bit is this. They tell you the pain point. Of course, they don't know the cost of solving yeah. those. We do. Mm. So my team have has to do the balancing between cost and solution. Mm -hmm. So sometimes we make the wrong cost estimation. It mm. ended up way too expensive. Can you give me a hard example? So I understand it better. Suppose they want a feature and the feature requires me building an engine. Let's go back to the previous example, yeah. workflow engine. So I could have took a much shorter time, a cheap way, and it'll come out in a month, mm -hmm. but it took Two months, three. So would 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 they have lost sales as a result? Maybe. Mm. Huh. I see. So so that's one example. Let's see where else can I go with that. So it, it's true. Some some the, the sales may come in with a with a rather selfish request. Yeah. That can happen. Yeah. But the support team are not incentivized that way. So you check multiple. Yeah. Stakeholders. They, so they can triangulate. Yeah. And and we kind of trust that that result. And I guess the the proof would be in how much sales and growth you have. Then, right the, at the end of the day, right. Of course, the the end metric of sales you can never say it's because you built this one thing, right? It's uh, always it's hard to, it's hard to uh, but you could extrapolate. You could. Yeah, yeah, but and and I think we've never tried. <laughs> we never say hey. Hey, you built that thing. That gave us X revenue. Yeah. I think that has never happened. So Why, why is that? Because it's not true. How do you know it's true? Yeah. Well, <laughs> it, de it depends how fast you ship. If you're shipping too much and not controlling for, for experiments and stuff, then yes, right? Or yeah. if you look by, by usage even, right? You know, yeah. How often do you use that feature that you built for them? It's, oh, it, it's not like we can hold everything constant. We yeah, just do that one thing, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there are tons of yeah, things of going on every day. There are new things added on top. So, so in, in what cases, how do you make very good, clear roadmap calls then to prioritize, right? Because it's, it's, everything's obscured and it's hard to control for everything, but you do need to have sometimes experiments. Some things do need to be fixed. And, or, or is it just all intuition again? The process looks like this. We make a list of everything you want to do. Mm -hmm. And then as a team, we come together and prioritize. The t as a team, as in the whole company, okay. uh, every okay. department. So they all have to buy in. Yeah. So everyone's yeah. responsible for it. Yeah. So then you're held to it. So then, then we, put, we put a priority and then we say, mm, okay, there's room to fit in nine items, mm. example. Okay, pick your top nine items. Based off your estimate and, and yeah. what, what do you think is feasible. Yeah. How, how do you go about figuring out the, the time estimates then? What, what is your process and then what is what is too long what is too short how do you know what, one is one day one is three days one is half a day instinct pretty much instinct oh man okay that's very yeah, tough right yes which yes. is why it's really hard for a business person to ever judge a technical person I know There's I know too much to and, and so yeah. for for a business person you, you uh, the heuristic is multiply by three <laughs> you know was that whatever I mean, given the, the, to you yeah but that's one of the expectations but I yeah. yeah and and it's an for an engineer, it's an art to, to do estimation. There are a lot of 
literature out there yeah, on how to do that. Methodologies and philosophies. I am. I'm still lacking on that department. I know people who are very good in it. Yeah. To so, all. Yeah. To, to be fair, at, at twenty people, how many are engineers? Five six. Five six, right? I guess yeah. at that scale, you know, it's it's. You could argue you don't need to be so formal. Sure. It might bite you in the ass later if you do rapidly scale and you don't have the infrastructure. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. At, so least, at least you're aware. That, no, that, therefore, we are very, we are still very careful about scaling engineering mm. because I think it's a very intricate operation. Yeah. So, I mean, a 12 person operation is not the same thing as like twice a six-person operation. The amount of technical and human complexity you introduce, you just may end up burying yourself because you're trying to solve issues that are not relevant to, to building the business at that point. Mm. Mm. So it, is, it is a gamble. Sometimes at some point you, you might need to cross that threshold, I guess. Yes. Yeah, and, and it would be a wholly different game if I if like I were to play that, trying to manage 20 people. Entering the territory of... Uh, Technical lead and CTO more, I guess. Mm, mm. Yeah. Yeah. So, so which, you know, go, goes back to to what we talked about. You know, try to whatever the size, try to find something that is interesting to work on or impactful. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good compass to 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 at least to know if you want to stay longer or, or for how long, right? Mm. So I don't think we have time to talk about crypto. We're going to have to get you on for another repeat episode where we just talk about purely about crypto. This is a very interesting world. We have a lot of discussions about that um, and what the world looks like and what it's shipping up to be. So I guess for the last question is, what advice would you give then to people who are in technical lead positions, CTO positions, or even young or experienced engineers? Like what, what advice would you give them? Do what you like, man. I don't know how many people know this. From an engineer to a manager, it's not a promotion. <laughs> Unless you like like the human interaction, I guess. And yes. So if you if you switch to a manager track, you look. This is common knowledge to my world. I guess maybe not outside of that. So if you if you become a tech lead ever, know that it's not the same thing. It's it's about it's a people thing. So well, so know your strength. Yeah. Yeah. But but there also is a distinction, right? Which is why titles. From our first point yeah. in the very beginning, it's important, right? I like that you do that at yeah. closing loop, right? Because <laughs> tech lead is different from engineering manager, mm. different from CTO, different from you know just you know number and letter employees who have yeah. different ranks. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so what what do you mean by tech so, lead? because you could mean engineering manager instead, though. Is there a difference oh. between tech lead? Because tech lead also is technically more hands on, more, more hands on, but also more of the code, right? Yeah, code yeah. reviews and kind of things. Yeah, but yeah. engineering manager may be doing more of the interactions with product and design, yes. Yes. right? Yes. So, so no, back to my first point, they're not the same thing. It's not a promotion. It's yeah, a it's different track. Right. Yeah. So, so just you, know that from the get go. You take a title at that level. Yeah. So right, but above all, try to do. Things you're good at, uh, things you're interested in, yeah. not because it it's an elevation in status, yeah. or it pays more. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, which is very, quite well. I mean, I, I would argue it depends where you are in your life. If, mm. I mean, some people are also motivated by prestige and, and things like money, right? 
But I guess if you're looking to solve problems and find fulfillment and growth, that often might lead to a dead end after a certain point, right? Yeah, it's, I mean, if you gotta, whatever you pursue, even if you're, if you're after status, you still have to do what you're good at. Yeah. I mean, if you suck at it, how far can you take this? You know, yeah. granted, some people fail their way up, but, yeah. <laughs> but hey, it's a different game. You know? game. If you want to play that game, yeah. uh, then play that game, yeah. not not engineering. Not real engineering, but, but right. there are a lot of uh, very pretty big, well-funded companies in Southeast Asia where this this CTO is not even technical at all. <laughs> and you see that often. So. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so so now that kind of game. Mm, Maybe I should learn it. I don't know. <laughs> Something to <laughs> think it's about. Not, it's not. Yeah. It's it's not yeah. the same game. But 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 in general, your advice would be: do what you like, uh, make sure you're good at it, right, and, and kind of follow that as your 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 compass going forward. And at least if you kind of follow that, you won't go wrong at the end of the day, or you won't feel bad. Whatever you do, be world class at it. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thank you for your time, Mike. Thank you. Thank you, Alex. Love to be around again. Hey listeners, thanks for listening to another episode of EOA. As usual, if you enjoyed the podcast, please share the love. Share it to your friends, share it to your family if you think it will help them on their journey. Also, help write a review on your podcast platform as it helps us a lot. So what did we learn today? Engineering, specifically software engineering, is definitely very similar to operations in my opinion. You either can solve things or you can't. And if you can solve them, there are always ways to constantly optimize the solutions. However, that being said, you always find differing opinions on what is, quote unquote, the right way to do things. In the thick of it, it'll be hard to say what is right as it depends on your goals and your objectives and will change as you mature and develop and reflect back on your decisions. However, I do believe there are some principles that YK talks about that are harder to argue against, such as how you develop engineering talent and the associated cost to different methods. To me, it sounds like YK is following a similar vein to the golden rule of philosophy treat those how you want to be treated and he has elevated his leadership over the years using this method if you ignore that you can still reach your goals but at a cost of maybe losing your team or respect and again there's no right or wrong here but consequences for you to consider there's plenty of other practical advice in there so go ahead and take another listen i promise you will learn something new the second time around or reinforce some key concepts as usual i hope you learned something and see you back here for next week's episode eoa out